And Dar, we can't hear you. <laughs> Thanks, John. We're live. Okay, today we're doing something a little bit different. There's actually a few things that are different today. First of all, this is the premiere of the Sulcha podcast, episode one. The idea is for us to have a panel of people every week and talk about current events, both on the land and abroad. Um, so this is actually going to be an opportunity for us to get more audience members, more guests on, hear for more voices. Um, we actually had one more Palestinian, Izzy, a uh, fan fra- favorite of ours, was going to join us, but she's sick today. So we're missing one Palestinian. And I want to reach out to the viewers if there's anybody watching and you want to join any Palestinians watching who wants to join. We, we want to get a little better demographic balance. So if anybody wants to spontaneously hop on this live stream, uh, write something in the chat and we will make that happen. Uh, what also is a little bit new today is this is the first time ever that we're streaming to multiple platforms. So normally we stream just to YouTube. And it's because the idea was to really build a, a good following on YouTube, get subscribers up, uh, get monetized, which, you know, which has happened. But today I decided to mix it up and we're actually streaming simultaneously to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and even Twitch. Uh, it's an experiment. If I see that this brings the YouTube viewership down, then we probably won't do this anymore. But if it's a success, then we'll do this every week because ultimately we do want this content to get to as many people as possible. Uh, maybe what we will do to incentivize people to come to YouTube is, as those who are familiar with the show, we are very we engage very much with the with the with the chat. We will only engage with the YouTube chat. We're gonna ignore Facebook and Twitter chat. Nothing personal, but you know we gotta incentivize uh, people to come over to YouTube. So, before uh, our guests take a moment to introduce themselves, a quick shout out to our Patreon visionary members. We have Trivium Energy PTYLTD, SOG Cannabis, Max Marine, Geffen Posner, Adam Becker, Maya, Kimberly, Raja, Nate Hindman, Julian Men- Melser, and our one and only legendary member, Speedy Weedy. That list is getting long, and I can't express how grateful I am that that list is getting uh, longer. It's really our patrons who help support this content and allow us to, to do more of this. So it's greatly appreciative. If you want to support the show, you can find information in the description. You could either be a patron or support PayPal and a few other ways, including Bitcoin and other crypto donations. Um, and even, even if... Uh, monetary support is not something you can give. That's perfectly fine. Just showing up and being part of the conversation and listening, you know, that's very much part of, part of this. So um, thank you all for being here. Today, we're going to touch on a few different topics. Uh, but first, I- I'd like our guests to just quickly introduce themselves. Paulina, you can go first. Hi, uh, my name is Paulina. Um, I am a diaspora Jew who's currently living in Israel. I moved here one year ago. Uh, Prior to that, I was living in London, and I also lived in the U.S. for an extended period of time. Uh, I'm a dual citizen. Um, I'm a language professional, so I work as a translator from Spanish to English, and I've recently added Hebrew to my working languages, and I'm also learning Arabic. Um, and I'm overall very interested in, in politics, especially in the region. So I'm excited to, to speak with you all today. And I'd like to say, uh, you know, Paulina, you've been a, an active member of our community since pretty much the beginning. Um, we've, we've 
you know, built a, a close friendship through this project. And it's really the first time you're on the show. So it's a great pleasure to, to finally have you here for a live stream. It's good to be here. Tal, what's up? Uh, going well. So my name is Tal Hagen. Uh, I've been living in Israel for a, almost 11 years now. I'm currently studying political science for my first degree. Uh, I have a great interest in political analysis and understanding how the media discusses political things. I've been dealing with that since I was 14. And then as I've gotten older, I've wanted to understand uh, the conflicts going on within my own country, Israel. And so I got into different types of programs like this to actually have a more open conversation with Palestinians and people from different political viewpoints, right and left wing. And here I am. Thank you, Tal. Great to have you back. Eunice, brother, what's up? Oh, nice uh, meeting you, Paulina and Tal. Um, so I am a Palestinian translator, um, geopolitical commentator and uh, dialogue facilitator, and I live in Ramallah. Um, yeah. Great. Great to have you back on the program, Yunus. Thanks, Ada. So we're going we're gonna to touch on a few different topics. Where do we start? So I, just so everyone knows, the, the primary focus of uh, the current events we'll discuss will be Israel-Palestine related, but we'll touch on some uh, international events as well. So we'll touch on a little bit of both. Maybe we'll start with uh, prisoner release. So that's all over the news. Tal, you want to give maybe a little background? Yeah. So as um, most of you have probably seen in the media a few days ago, Six uh, Palestinian prisoners in Giboa prison up north in Israel uh, managed to escape. They Either they had dug or someone had dug for them a hole going from a bathroom where they were kept prisoner through the prison underneath and then out in the road just right next to the prison. Uh, El Chapo style. Very much so. Uh, from what we know right now, the prison tower right next to where the uh, tunnel came out of there was no guard at the time in that tower and in the tower that was nearby the pres- the guard was asleep so a very interesting uh, time time frame uh, the reason that the authorities were even al- alerted to them being escaped was actually a taxi driver that was nearby who saw suspicious figures running away from the prison and then he called it in but they only officially knew that someone was missing when they did a head count and realized that there were six people missing uh, so very much uh, a huge failure in terms of the Israeli prison, uh, in terms of security. A little bit backstory on the six uh, Palestinian prisoners that were released. This is just a general overview. Um, according, this is more like the wiki entries and different um, information that I was able to find. Of course, I don't have the intelligence reports or the in-depth understanding of who these people were. But um, I'll say their first names just so I don't butcher the names because I don't know Arabic that well. Um, Zakaria, he was the commander of the Fatahs al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade in Jenin. Uh, he was arrested for organizing numerous attacks against Israelis during the Second Intifada, including a suicide bombing in Tel Aviv, as well as two shooting attacks on buses in November 2018 and January 2019. His trial was ongoing at the time of the escape. Uh, Mahmoud uh, a member of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad was in prison since 1996 for carrying out terror attacks and membership in Islamic Jihad. Uh, Muhammad Qasim Ada, uh, so he was Muhammad Abdullah's brother. He was imprisoned in 2002 for carrying out terror attacks and membership in Islamic Jihad. 
Um, Yaqub, member of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, imprisoned since 2003 for planning attacks against Israelis and membership in the Islamic Jihad. And then Monadel, he was a member of the Islamic Jihad, imprisoned under administrative detention since 2019. Uh, and the last one, so the last one is a little bit different than the rest. From just the general information, the rest are imprisoned for being associated with different attacks against Israeli soldiers and civilians or being in charge of these attacks. While the last one, Ayem Naif Kamamji, he was in prison since 2006 for the murder of Eliyahu Ashri. Eliyahu Ashri was an 18-year-old uh, Israeli uh, high schooler who was killed by uh, him. What essentially happened at the time is a few hours before he was kidnapped, uh, Gilad Shalit, the, the, fame, the infamous story of Gilad Shalit, the soldier, who was um, kidnapped by Hamas and then taken prisoner right after he was kidnapped operation summer summer rains uh, commenced to try to bring him back. And so they kidnapped this 18 year old um, high schooler and uh, threatened Israel that if they did not stop the operation against Gaza, they would kill him. Israel didn't listen to the demands. And a few hours later they found his body. Um, he was essentially executed. Uh, and that was, and then he was brought into trial and imprisoned. So that's according to the general, um, from what we can understand from these six individuals that were released. Um, at the moment, uh, searches are going on for them. They haven't been found at this moment. Uh, reports and intelligence indicate from what we can see in the media that they probably are in Janine or in the surrounding areas, or I've also seen reports that they might be trying to get out of Israel in general. Uh, but we don't know uh, at the moment. Well, we're just looking at the report and see what happens. Thank you, Tao. Um, anybody want to comment on this? I, I have some thoughts. Uh, so, first of all, I, I've really been listening to, to how Palestinians are perceiving this uh, this jailbreak and wh how they view it. And when I when I expressed to them that you know, some of these people have blood on their hands. One of them, clearly, what they say is they were all tried in military court and they don't view military court as legitimate. So I, I want to put that out as, as a common narrative. And I think, I think there is legitimacy to it. Uh, I'm not going to say that these people are innocent. I just think that um, it's not hard to understand why Palestinians uh, question the legitimacy of the court. That being said, this is obviously a very embarrassing situation for, for Israel. You know, it's like, a, it's humiliating. Um, Israel always having the upper hand, being like a huge surveillance state, having the best technology, and you had six prisoners uh, dug a hole with a spoon. Uh, Shawshank Redemption Palestine edition, essentially. Uh, Palestinians are ecstatic. This to them is a huge... Uh, morale booster it's it's a sign that we're not invincible that we can be defeated that we have weaknesses i understand the sentiment i expressed and this is a conversation i recently had with uh, my palestinian friend basam who's actually been on the channel i told him i said i can understand why you view this as a win but aren't you concerned that this is just ultimately going to harm palestinians more um the security uh, protocol will now be stricter in prisons. Israel's already arresting more Palestinians. They're 
they're kind of making up for their humiliation. And it seems the the net total of this release is just going to be more harm towards Palestinians. And his sentiment, and I think his sentiment is is very common on the Palestinian side, and that's why I, I want to express this, was dignity is the most important for Palestinians, that, that this is... This to them is such a strong win for their morale and for their dignity um, that they're okay to give up short-term well-being just to keep the struggle alive. Um, and I think this narrative is is very important to understand. I'm personally under the opinion that I don't know if dignity is more important than well-being. I, I think you probably need a balance. Obviously, all people deserve dignity, but you know, the harm that is now going to be caused to Palestinians, is that really worth it? You know, I'm, I'm not convinced. Um, and obviously I can understand why, for example, the family of the, of the 18 year old who was murdered are probably very, very upset with what happened. Oh, and I see, actually, we have another guest. Warda has joined us. Hold on. Warda. Hi. So glad to see you here. Thank you. Hi, how are uh, you? Good, good. I'm happy. So Warda actually joined us last minute after Izzy canceled. Warda is also a good friend of mine. Um, so Warda, we're, we're right in the middle of things. So we'll finish this combo and then I'll give you a quick opportunity to introduce yourself. But so, yeah, those, those are really um, my, my thoughts on, on the prison break. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cra crazy story. Uh, I... I, it's it's a it's a big morale booster for the Palestinians. It's a morale decreaser for the Israelis, or at the very least, humiliating for the Israelis. But in the big picture, I don't know if it's uh, a positive. Uh, if it's ultimately going to be positive for for progressing any any solution to the conflict. So that's my short two cents. Maybe somebody else wants to chime in on on the prisoner release. We have a bunch more topics we, we want to get to as well. Eunice, yeah. did you say? Yeah, go ahead, Paulina. Um, I was going to say when I, I it's been really interesting to see the uh, the different reactions to it, like like you mentioned, um, because you know I first heard about it more from the Israeli perspective. That was just like you know I got a text being like lock your doors. There's been a bunch of prisoners who are on the loose. Um, and it's it's very much like there's a real manhunt on at the moment. And then I go on social media and I see that Palestinians are celebrating this and their allies are celebrating this. And I can completely understand why. Um, you know, I think on a narrative level, like, it is very much Shawshank Redemption. And it's very like, yeah, we'll stick it to the man. And, you know, we're under these conditions, we're prisoners and, and they escaped. And, and it's really, really cool from a narrative perspective. So I can, I can empathize with both sides, which is something that I find myself saying uh, around a lot of events. Um, but it is, you know, I do worry about the long-term implications and the kind of as, as you've mentioned, Adar, like whether it's sort of worth it in the long run, because I honestly think, um, speaking to some friends of mine, one of whom is a journalist, um, is very much of the opinion that this is going to lead to another severe escalation and potentially even war against. Um, so, you know, coming out 
of the the war that we saw in May, uh, you know, the ceasefire is still quite fragile and there's quite a good chance that it will escalate from here. Um, so in that sense, I, you know, it's kind of, is it worth it in the long run? And I don't, I don't know that there's a correct answer to that. It does depend on what the ultimate objective is. Um, but I do, I don't know. I was kind of coming from it from the perspective of how are they even going to find these people? Um, and my Israeli friends have all told me that, you know, they're not going to stop looking until they find them. And at the moment they've already deployed uh, IDF soldiers, battalions um, to the West Bank, to the border and the uh, closures of um, kind of the lockdown on the border has been extended and it doesn't, I don't know, I, kind of, I guess I kind of thought of it as like maybe after a few days it's going to be clear that we don't know where they are and so it will just let up. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, and I, I do unfortunately foresee this just leading to kind of further and further escalations from, from different various factions and sort of pinging off of each other. And ultimately, I think, unfortunately, it might sort of inflame the whole situation all over again. Um, so it's, it's, it's really up to debate whether that's a good thing or not, because, you know, I, I imagine from many Palestinians' perspectives, it's very much like, okay, well, it's, it's good because, you know, we're fighting for our cause. And if anything, it's gaining visibility. And, and uh, if anything happens, that's, that's part of the process and part of people seeing what's going on and what's happening to the people of Palestine. Um, but me, from, from my own biased perspective, I'm very much like, I don't want further war to break out or anything like that. So I hope it doesn't, but I, I think that this could very well be a catalyst for that sort of thing. Thank you, Paulina. Wardir well, Yunishi, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, as I understand, and, you are speaking. Sorry. Uh, and Wardir, feel feel free to introduce yourself too, because uh, so our audience members know who you are. Okay, so my name is Warda. I'm educator for 36 years, and I'm a peace activist a lot of time. I have three kids, maybe in, in uh, Paulina age, yeah. And uh, it's 25, 22, and 19. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm so hopeful that uh, we can uh, make a change uh, in our life. And I appreciate Adar for making these uh, this discussions from time to time, from every week, I think. Uh, yes, Adar? Every week, almost you do that, and uh, and it's really uh, good to hear the the youths from all uh, from all um, you know uh, parties, streams, uh, speaking about their emotions, about their thoughts, about uh, their visions. Yeah, uh, I like it, and uh, I hope uh, it, it, I think it's it's the the way for uh, for knowing each other and for. Uh, for uh, being uh, more, as uh, Paulina said, she feels uh, empathy for the both sides. It's it's really very very nice that you say that, and it it it, uh, it tells me that how much you are 
really have a critical thinking and think from the both sides and put yourself in the shoes of both sides. And this is very important to really to find a place for conciliation. So uh, I am, uh, I heard as all of you about these kids, these prisoners who were out of the jail. And if I want to tell you that the truth that it was for me how come they did it in this and you know on a spoon they speak about having you know making the tunnels by spoon and all the jokes now telling about uh, missing spoons in the in the <laughs> in the drawers that uh, that symbols you know that the the, the thing that they use to to have a freedom that's mean what they did to to make their own way to to have a freedom from jail uh, from the other side i i have uh, i haven't read about uh, all the the guys that uh, they were escaped only one who is the artist and i saw an article about him and i saw about uh, also in tv speaking how he started his uh, way on uh, activism against uh, occupation and against uh, military uh, submission uh, submission and uh, uh, and um, and uh, and how he used also you know the uh, the art um, how he started that he is also artist he he act in uh, and he also uh, i heard a lot of good things about him from the background also i heard about his mothers and uh, brothers was uh, killer killed they were killed uh, in a bomb in their houses in their house and uh, you know uh, from from one side, you say that I don't know why the, he is in jail. And uh, as I know, many, uh, many prisoners in jail because they fight uh, for freedom and they fight for, uh, uh, for being a uh, uh, um, protester, uh, for being protester uh, for the occupation. Uh, from the other side, I am uh, not willing. I don't well. Uh, I don't agree with the, all the um, how to say that uh, the violence that uh, that it is uh, on all uh, that they that they can maybe they did on the uh, on innocent people. I don't know about that uh, that uh, person Zubedi, but. Uh, but uh, I really didn't read about the others. I was very busy in uh, many projects uh, lately. So, uh, so I think um, uh, I I don't know how I as I said once asked me in uh, one group where you put yourself in when, when which side I said it's hard to say where I am and in what side I am because I'm against occupation and I'm against. A violence at the same time, and occupation has violence, and also protesting or the against the occupation also uh, ne uh, use violence sometimes. So, so it's it's uh, I have mixed emotions in that. 
I feel sorry for everyone who was killed, innocent or uh, even soldier, or even uh, anybody who was killed, any soul was killed. I feel sorry for that. But I see that um, that I can't, um, how to say that, judge these people. I can't because I'm not there. And I can't judge also the uh, uh, Israeli military because I'm not there. I'm not there, nor here, and neither. It's for me hard to to uh, to explain my feeling or to judge these people according to what the Palestinian people see or what the uh, Israeli side see. But they are really uh, they are not criminals. They they according to the uh, to the uh, goals or the visions that they work on it, they are protesters against occupation. I think if there wasn't occupation, there will not be a kind of these protesters or make uh, violent against the innocent people. Uh, because now I see that a lot of time where uh, less and less uh, uh, private people make uh, uh, violent uh, actions against uh, against Israeli innocent people, but you know uh, it uh, it will never uh, be ended if we uh, don't come to to make peace and end this occupation. Who make that uh, uh, that uh, kind of you know of mixing uh, emotions between the two um, the two uh, people? Thank you, thank you, Warda. Thank you. Eunice, did, did you want to chime in here? Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, uh, thanks for that, that kind of um, encompasses most of the, uh, what most people think or the, the comprehensive view on the matter. Um, I wanted to comment on, uh, also just give a bit of a background about Zakaria Zubedi. Uh, he grew up in the Janine camp. Yeah, ju just to clarify, this is the one. This is the one prisoner that was involved in theater and art. So you want you're going to give a background on him. Yeah, uh, because I'm interested in theater and art as well. So I had, I had to watch um, the film that was made about him and about uh, the the Israeli woman uh, who raised. Um, not exactly raised, but she was involved in these uh, people's lives as they were growing up. Her name was uh, Arna Mir. Uh, she, she, she got married to uh, uh, Saliba Khamis, uh, a Christian Palestinian in the 50s. Um, they had a child, Giuliano Mir Khamis, um, an amazing man. Um, him and his mother um, uh, founded the Freedom Theater in the refugee camp, uh, the Jenin refugee camp, um, uh, which influenced a lot of uh, children um, and gave them a bit of hope. Probably, that was the one of the main purposes, and one of them was uh, Zakaria Zubedi that you would uh, see in the film. Uh, the film, by the way, is called uh, Arna's Children. Um, the film shows you that um, uh, a lot of the, uh, or some of these teenagers back then were killed um, early on, and some of them grew up to be 
fighters. Uh, some of them joined the Islamic Jihad. Uh, some of them, like Zakaria Zubaydi, joined Fatah and became a fighter for the uh, Aqsa Brigades. Um, it's um, it's gloomy. The, the, the some of the like part of that image of uh, of uh, of the whole situation, the circumstances in which they grew up, and what was happening, especially after the year two thousand, um, after the second intifada broke out, and what was happening in the refugee camp, and especially. Uh, during and after the the 2002 uh, Operation uh, uh, Wall Guardian. Uh, this is probably not the correct uh, translation. Um, let me let me just bring up the correct name for the. Uh, uh, what what name are you looking for? I think it's Guardi the, I think it was Guardian of the Walls. Guardians of the Walls, yeah, that was oh, the, the Israeli name. Yeah, that was the name of the. Um, no, not exactly, because Guardian of the Walls was the most recent. Uh, yeah. Name. Uh, that was the most recent recent operation. Yeah. Yeah. Give me one second, actually. So that was a major event in the. Uh, Operation Defensive Shield, uh, and it went from March the 29th, 2002, to May the 3rd, the same year, um, and and it and it occupied a huge portion of uh, of our minds and hearts back then because it uh, what what it entailed is the idea of storming Palestinian uh, cities and towns and. Uh, rounding up all of the uh, police in the uh, Palestinian army and collecting all of the weapons. And uh, there was a lot of damage in, on the way. Um, and in the Janine refugee camp, that, that was a hotspot for the, for the fighting back then. And uh, Zakaria Sabedi and his friends were involved uh, um, in the most part of, of all of that. So that that's like a bit of a background on he is, and and then much later on, many Israelis still remember Tali Khema, uh, the Israeli woman who uh, who had some sort of uh, friendship or relationship with him, and uh, she she was some sort of a human shield for him. She she kind of like saved him from being assassinated a couple of times. Uh, for which she went to prison, to Israeli prison, and uh, and then at some point, um, a few years later, uh, Zakaria Zubaydi, and this is the most interesting part, he decided to uh, uh, give away his weapon in some sort of uh, agreement with the PA and with uh, the Israeli authorities. He gave away his weapon and he chose to stop the fighting and... Uh, uh, joined the. Uh, uh, he decided to to become a peacemaking kind of not exactly peacemaking, but he chose peace over war. Let's see, let's say, um, and then but but what happened is that in two thousand eleven, 
things have changed. And then in, in uh, a few years later, he was arrested by the PA and then he was arrested by, uh, by Israel again. Um, and it's just the whole thing is, is very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. At some point, Talif Khema was very angry with him uh, because, uh, because he received a permit from the Israeli authorities to uh, have an eye check at an Israeli hospital in Jerusalem. So she was like, I did all this for you, and then uh, you uh, stabbed us all in the back and uh, you received the permit from the Israelis. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was something back then. But then a few years later, um, he changed his mind again, picked up, the the rifle and then carried on so yeah that that was uh, thanks for I, that thanks yeah. for that little uh background Eunice. uh ward uh, i know you need to go it was short and sweet i yeah. kind of called you in as backup but uh yeah f feel free to say your farewells thank you uh because you know i i as i told you before i have to present my peace program in another group so i i i wish i can uh, be with you more time uh, maybe you can join us also to that group if you want i can send you the link yeah so, yeah send me a link we'll put it in the chat and and warda before you go i i want i'm gonna announce it right now so warda and Eunice actually um have a video coming out on sulha on, on Sunday, we've been talking about it behind the scenes a lot on Discord. We finally did it. We did a chocolate hummus taste testing video. <laughs> Warda, Warda and Eunice are our Palestinians who tasted chocolate hummus. They had varying reactions, you could say. And uh, it's finally coming out. So Monday evening, stay tuned. Israelis and Palestinians taste chocolate hummus. And I have a feeling this is going to be a new form of content we do. It's kind of like a... More like a apolitical just like cultural um yeah a, a fun little cultural thing i will get backlash because many will view it as like perhaps a form of normalization but um i i think it's this wholesome content is important for people to see like you know let's let's join each other over our dislike of chocolate hummus or our like of chocolate hummus i'm not going to tell you what happened you're gonna have to watch it so stay tuned for that Warda, thank you so much Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, nice to meet you, Paulina and Tal. And uh, Eunice, uh, take care. Thank yeah, you, you, too, nice you. you too. Yeah, thank you. Bye. See nice you. Maybe we have another opportunity to meet again. Bye For bye. sure. Great. Um, cool. Then there were four. Adara, I also wanted to comment very quickly on um, something that you said earlier. Yeah, sure. Um, I, which I interpreted as something that I've been thinking about, which is the Palestinian collective fear of uh, the Israeli machine or the, the Israeli society or the IDF or the government. Uh, what I am noticing is a trend um, that this fear is kind of increasing uh, thanks, uh, not decreasing thanks to social media and thanks to the trends and thanks to many elements. And I don't know whether if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the, what I am seeing from my perspective is that, um, there's like, um, like in the protest, like the, there's some momentum in the, the person protest that make it sound like that the Palestinians 
are less afraid of Israelis, are less afraid of uh, saying stuff online and less afraid of escaping from prison. In the past, um, uh, Israel would, would, would catch the, those who would escape right afterwards. Um, it sounds like also from my perspective that Israel is some sort of is a kind of a loss of what to do or uh, what to do with Palestinians anymore. It, it sounds different from uh, what I have been seeing in the last 20 years. Um, I don't know, Tal, Paulina, Adar, what, what do you think? What, what are you seeing? I mean, I, I, you know, it's, I, I have less of a day-to-day -day interaction with Palestinians th than yourself. So it's, um, it's very interesting to hear that. And I, I don't give too much legitimacy to the voices I hear on social media because that's kind of like filters out a lot of the moderate voices, like the voices that are loudest on social media are often most extreme. But, um, what you're saying kind of supports what my friend Bassam said, that, uh, that he views this as important because it gives Palestinians hope. The one thing I will say is it is positive that there's Palestinians are, are energized towards, uh, towards change, but I think our, the goals need to be clear. And I think this, this is where I, I have issue with a lot of activism, that much of Palestinian activism, its goal is to make Israel cease to exist. I would say that's a goal that is ultimately going to harm Palestinians rather than help them. But if you take that energy and focus into focus it to a viable solution, let's say the establishment of a Palestinian state, but not at the expense of an Israeli state, that is energy that could that could yield positive positive returns. So I want to see an energized pal Palestinian population. I want the Palestinian people to have hope. I want them to be mobilized, but I want them to be mobilized in a direction that will actually be fruitful and not destructive. And um, not only destructive towards us, I, I genuinely think that the attempt to destroy Israel will harm Palestinians more than it will harm Israelis. And I think, you know, we've been seeing this for the past 70 plus years. So um, I, I'm with you that the energy is good. It just needs to be directed uh, in the right avenue. Pauline, did you want to say I have something also to say? Uh, and then you want to go first. Um. So I, I agree with Adara um, and like I said before, you know, I can, I'm kind of like living in this bubble where I feel like I'm in a bit of an echo chamber and Sulcha is like one of the only sort of ways that I can break out of it besides social media, which as Adara said, is tends to be very, very much extreme. So it's a little bit frustrating because it's, it's difficult to get kind of a more, balanced perspective and, and what you see shared in terms of infographics and things like this tend to be very, very leaning to one side, whichever, whichever one it is. Um, but I definitely, I definitely agree that it's like I said before, I, I can, I can fully understand the, the sort of, narrative how compelling the narrative is of just like these prisoners escaping and, and and managing to do something that 
seemed impossible. And I can I can completely empathize with how moralizing that must feel. And then given how compelling a narrative it is, it's also very easy to, to take it and sort of run with it and not, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of posts that um, you you would think that regardless of, as we touched on before, you know, I think that the legitimacy of the imprisonment uh, to begin with is sort of up for debate um, because you can easily make the argument that, you know, Israel um, has no right, had no right to be imprisoning them in the first place. Uh, but if we're going to take that with a grain of salt and, and say that like, okay, you know, the, these are people, they were being imprisoned for this and that and the other, that they've actually caused, I think five out of six of them have uh, reportedly or allegedly caused direct harm to civilians. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of narrative online that's just kind of like completely erasing that. And you would you would think that they were like, you know, just your average Joe Schmo on the street who who was imprisoned un, unfairly and, and has been victimized and then has been able to escape. So I can absolutely see how compelling that is. And I can also see how even when you when you take into account, you know, that okay, but the reason why they were in prison was because we think that they've done this, that, and the other. Um, it's still like, yeah, but what are the reasons behind that? Uh, you know, like when we explored a little bit about um, Sakaria's background, for example, um, I can also understand why someone would grow up um, and and end up doing those things and, and why it would be viewed as, as righteous anger and righteous resistance against the occupation. Um, in terms of the morale sentiment i i do feel i i do kind of i do kind of see where you're coming from Eunice. if i'm understanding you correctly that i i have definitely again this is me coming from my sort of limited perspective which is mostly sort of israeli leaning and then what i get from the palestinian perspective tends to be more from social media which is more sort of leaning towards an extreme, but I definitely have been noticing a, a very um, sort of renewed empowerment of it's almost like the, the, the narrative that I have been perceiving that I've been hearing has been very much that like, um, you know, it's like very encouraging and it, it's very much that, you know, we've, we've been carrying out this resistance for so long now and, we're not anywhere close to stopping. We're not anywhere close to getting tired or fatigued. It's, it's, you know, like now this big thing has happened that is very symbolic and very compelling. Um, and it's, it's very encouraging to people and, and that, you know, we're, we're kind of winning in a sense, in, in the sense that um, the, the narrative is shifting in our favor and uh, it's very, I can't think of a better word than encouraging at the moment, but that, that is something that I, I have noticed um, in kind of the perspectives that I've been seeing. But again, this is all coming from the context of my own sort of echo chamber, which I really, really try my hardest to, I'm very, very conscious of the narratives and opinions that I surround with myself with. And I try my hardest to not limit myself to a particular bubble um, but I am conscious that all the same, I am kind of coming from this particular bubble and it, it can be difficult when you're not kind of in one camp or on one side, so to say, uh, to really 
objectively view the the perspectives that are floating around. Thanks, Paulina. Uh, I have a thing on Yuna, uh, something that Yuna said about, you said Yuna's correct, just want to make sure that I'm quoting you right, that uh, it seems in the last 20 years that Israel doesn't really know what to do with the Palestinians, correct? Uh, yeah. I just want to make sure that I got that right. Um, I would agree with you, but I would extend that all the way back to 1948. Um, I think a big issue that Israel has constantly had is this, if you look at different documentaries with former uh, intelligence heads of Israel, they've all said the same thing, that we don't have a long-term plan for what to do, that Israel's never had a long-term plan. It's always been short-term, what do we do for you know, peace for the next two months or peace for the next year, and then we'll deal with it. Like, in a sense, with what we have with Gaza, uh, Israel has the blockade, and then it doesn't, Israel or Hamas just kind of like waits to have a conflict every once a year, and then we're all waiting for the next conflict to happen again uh, in another year. Uh, there's no long term. And I think there are two reasons for this that I think have a big reason. One is I don't think that there's a lot of unity amongst the Palestinians. There's no real unity amongst the voices. There are those who call for uh, more like action violence against the Israeli occupation and Israeli control over them. And then there's activists that call for a more peaceful uh, transition. And you can't have these two different groups working at the same time because it doesn't really work. Because if the, if the group that's calling for peace starts moving forward resolutions and then you have the militant group that starts committing attacks, then the other side is, is simply going to view the militant side as as the whole, as the monolith. And so they're not going to want to continue peace talks. And so everything gets uh, destroyed. Uh, and so I think that the lack of a real unity amongst the Palestinian uh, ideals of what what do we do about Israel? What do we do about the Israeli people? And how do we achieve our goals and wh what they are? I mean, there's multiple different factions of the Palestinians. And the second, with terms of Israel, is I don't think we to this day know what a Jewish state is. Uh, there are those who we see talking about a a Jewish state in terms of a theocracy of having Jewish law in this country and you know just a, a country for the Jews by um, by the Jews. And then there are people saying, well, we should we just have certain identities of Judaism, but we should be a secular country. And there's this constant uh, infighting uh, between Jews in this country of how we want the country to look. And I think that until we can even process how we want the country to look, we're not able to really contend with uh, the Palestinians and uh, how we're going to deal with them in terms of if we're looking for a secular state, then that's one peace deal. If we're looking for a theocratical, now I'm going, these are the two extremes. Of course, there's many in the middle, but with the two extremes, isn't there are completely different outcomes in terms of how we're going to go towards the peace plans. Uh, we see this with different administrations. For example, with the Likud administration under Netanyahu, he talked about a two-state solution, yet at the same time, he advanced um, settlement policies. And by doing this, then slowly the two-state solution wasn't really working. But at the same time, a lot of people in his party believed that maybe we can still have a two-state solution and we're, and we're pushing for this type of peace deal. A lot of pro-Israel groups were doing this. Uh, and I don't think there's any real coherency on what in Israel on really what we're doing with the Palestinians, because we in ourselves don't have a coherent image as to what the future is Jewish state is supposed to be. Yeah, well put, well put. Can we, 
Any more thoughts on the prisoner list or can we move on to prisoner escape or can we move on to uh, the next topic? I, I want to say uh, um, uh, in, in response to Tal, uh, I was so surprised when, when I learned for the first time that there's no long-term plan uh, for Israelis. I was so surprised because we... As a Palestinian, I, I grew up on the idea that um, everything is schemed, everything is outlined, and uh, there's there's even a, a conspiracy. There's even a, a conspiracy. There's even a, a long-term plan, and that and that the lack of that that is just uh, different politicians in, in different parties who think probably even differently from each other and then even fighting each other in the Knesset. Um, it sometimes all of that is un- incomprehensible for, for a lot of Palestinians. It's, uh, it's, it's something to think about. Um, and as for Palestinian voices not being coherent because of the, uh, because of the, uh, of the infighting, um, this has been going on since 2007. Um, and, and it's amazing that Israel had, for the first time ever, um, two Palestinian sides to, to work with, the, the Hamas in Gaza and then the Fatah in, in the West Bank. And in, instead of working with the Palestinian Authority and rebooting the, uh, the peace process and the negotiations... Uh, Bibi has been, and and other politicians, uh, other Israeli politicians have been, and policymakers have been uh, progressively um, isolating, and uh, I wouldn't say isolating, but like uh, I'm trying to find the proper word, but it's like minimizing uh, and diminishing the role of the Palestinian Authority instead of working with them, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank and taking up the opportunity to make a new deal and improve the lives of Palestinians and Israelis, uh, things have been going downhill since uh, 2014, up until we had Trump, then things have gotten even worse and the Palestinian Authority has um, the role and magnificent, oh, I lost that word. Sorry, I have a bit of a flu, so (laughs) kind of a loss some words um, Mag- magnificent it's yes a tough one. magnificent yeah. yes exactly thank you um so yeah i i, I do blame uh, uh the previous israeli politicians and government for all of that stuff um and and the 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 incoherence that that has been like since 2007 since the hamas overtaking in in gaza that's for Israel, that should have been um, an advantage, not an, a disadvantage. That should have been a reason, a motivation to move forward with with the peace process rather than making excuses about it. And it's it's been really damaging. We're, we're seeing what, what, what happened uh, back in May, things that we've never seen. Um, and we're seeing how Gantz is trying to reboot the the peace process with with Abbas, but it's but it's probably too late. Um, but that that should have been a, an opportunity 
for Israel, and Israel has missed the opportunity uh, because of arrogance and just sheer arrogance. Um, sometimes the, the way that it seems. Yeah, just uh, wanted to comment on that. Thanks, Eunice. Cool. So let's we're, we've wrapped up the prisoner escape situation. Maybe we'll touch on it again next week if there's some developments. I want to get to our next piece of news. Um, before we touch on Afghanistan, Tal, I see you're asking about Afghanistan. We'll get there. Uh, Muhammad El-Kurd, who is a very big social media influencer and a Palestinian activist, has recently uh, been brought on to be, to start to be a Palestine correspondent for The Nation magazine, which is a left-wing magazine. He is actually starting and running the Palestine column. I view this as problematic, okay? I, I do want Palestinian voices to have a, a platform to, to share the Palestinian narrative, the Palestinian struggle. It's very important. But Muhammad is, he's a radical. Let's, ju let's just say it straight up. He has called for the ethnic cleansing of Jews on this land. He does not recognize Israel's right to exist. These are not the voices that should be centered. Now, anybody who watches this program knows we bring extremists on. We have extremists on this program. It's not that I'm not taking the stance that if you have an extreme position that you shouldn't have any platform. I think engaging in dialogue with extreme people is important. But to let somebody who is equivalent, this is equivalent to a Kahanist, right? This is a Palestinian version of, of a Kahanist wanting to, he had a tweet, he said, Hold on. I took a screenshot. Whatever. I, it, it'll take time to pull it up. It was something about colonizers, amongst other things, are removed from the land, referring to the Jews. He believes in ethnically cleansing Jews from the land. This is, a, this is, a, this is as if the nation were to bring on a Kahanist to run their, their Israel column. Okay. These are not the voices that we should be centering. And I can't stress how harmful I think this is for our discourse and for Palestinian activism. I am talking to Israelis constantly. And the most common thing I hear from them is we can't have peace with the Palestinians because they don't want peace. They want to push us into the sea. They're not willing to compromise. They won't compromise until Israel is destroyed. This is the narrative that the average Israeli has, and this is why the average Israeli refuses to engage in the peace process because they're hopeless. They think there's nothing that can be done. We just need to defend ourselves for eternity because Palestinians do not accept us here. And I try to tell them, some Palestinians in fact believe that, but there's a large portion of Palestinians that are willing to accept us here on this land, and these are the ones we need to work with. Well, what the nation is doing is taking one of those extremists and putting him front and center. This will only fuel the radicalization of both populations. Both Israelis and Palestinians will be more extreme because of what the nation is doing. This is not good for discourse. This is not good for reconciliation. It, it's a horrible move. I can understand 
how people become extreme. Extremists are not created in vacuums, right? The, the extremists are products of their environment, whether you're a Kahanist or, or a Palestinian hardliner. So to, to an extent, we, we should sympathize with, extre- with extremists. We should understand that they were not born like this. And I, 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 very, I very much believe that. But that being said, there's a difference between being able to understand how somebody became extreme and how the, the, their environment radicalize them but there's a difference between understanding that and then putting them front and center to run a column okay kahanist a kahanist should not run a column on israel on a, in a serious newspaper and someone like muhammad el kurd should not run a column on palestine in a serious newspaper um i don't know if people here want to want to build or add to that um so i i I'm inclined to agree with you, Adal. My question would be, like, I don't know um, how accepted the notion of uh, Muhammad al-Qaeda being an extremist is, uh, because I I personally haven't seen um, anyone except Israelis saying that, like, oh, you know, he's, he's an anti-Semite, he, he's right. extremist. That's um, a problem. Yeah, like I, because I, 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 I will admit I saw the news um, earlier today. I, I saw like a tweet or something um, about him having been assigned to this column, and my first reaction was like, "Ooh, you know, I feel a bit uncomfortable with that because my perception of him is that like he's he's a bit extreme." Um, but as as you've already laid out, you know, I I can understand why and. I don't think that anything exists in a vacuum. And I think that, you know, context and um, upbringing and the trauma that you've had to live with and and face on a daily basis is is always very important to take into account. However, as you said, you know, um, when it comes to something like a column, I think that, I mean, I I don't know him. I don't don't know the guy personally. Um, I don't know, like maybe... When he's not being an activist, he he has an excellent capacity to you know be objective and. Um, and Wait, and, have you have you seen any? Uh, have you seen his capacity to be objective from anything he's ever? No, out? this is what I'm like. Like I, I don't know him. Maybe he does, and I would hope so because this is what I would hope for from you know a, a column, um, that's allegedly you know going to be an unbiased public publication. Uh, what I what I wanted to say was that this kind of um, reminds me of a, a point that I've been that I've kind of been pondering for a few months now, and I've also mentioned it um, in the Sulha community that because when I'm speaking to my Israeli friends, any time that he gets mentioned, they just immediately write him off as like he's an anti-Semite. Um, you know, and just like, don't even listen to to what he might be saying. And that also rubs me the wrong way because, um, you know, this is a much more involved discussion, but there, there is something to be said about, you know, I, I do think that a lot of the time that is sort of the easy, easy way to just completely discredit someone is to say like, well, they're anti-Semitic, they're an extremist, they hate all Jews, they hate all Zionists, but what they really hate is Jews, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that's fair either, given given the context, as I said. Um, but it does kind of, 
something that I, I said recently and that I've been pondering over is that I do almost feel like there is too much of an emphasis on um, when it when it comes to like Palestinian activism and and, and the sort of Palestinian narrative. I, I almost feel like there's too much of an emphasis on defending it as not anti-Semitic um, when I think the reality of the situation often is that if I were Palestinian um, and, you know, obviously I'm not, so I'm, I'm just conjecturing here, but if I, if I were Palestinian and I had, you know, this, all these done to me and these, these generations of trauma and then on top of like lived everyday trauma that's kind of being done to me in the name of Israel, in the name of a Jewish state, I, I would be a bit anti-Semitic. Like I would have anti-Semitic inclinations if I have this sort of reinforced over and over again narrative. And, you know, I know that as a Zionist, I'm someone who considers myself a Zionist and we're always trying to separate these things completely and say like, you know, Judaism and and Jews are not the same as, as Zionism, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know, I feel like in practice, a lot of the things that have been done to the Palestinians have been done in the name of a Jewish state. Um, and, and so I can absolutely see how someone Palestinian would kind of like, th- there is, uh, you can't, you can't completely separate the two is what I suppose I'm trying to say. And, and there is some conflation. So I almost feel like it's less realistic to expect someone who has been subjected to the occupation and, and all of this trauma to be completely free of anti-Semitic sentiment. And it almost strikes me as a bit sort of disingenuous. And I, I on some level find it almost a bit more offensive when, when people just write it off, like, no, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just anti-Zionist or I'm just this or that, this or that. Like, I'm like, okay, but you know, a lot of the times things that are being said strike me as a bit anti-Semitic coming from a Jewish perspective, but at the same time, I can understand why. And I I feel like it might be more productive in the long run if, and I I don't know how we go about doing this, but the ideal scenario in my head is for people to kind of have more of a frank conversation and sort of admit to these things where it it is like, you know, if, if if I was being consistently subjugated and oppressed by a certain group of people I would realistically have resentment and strong feelings towards this group of people and that doesn't you know that is may very well be bigoted and not okay but it's also understandable in the context so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that I feel like there's kind of a lot of dancing around this where sort of both sides so to speak I I don't like using that term but for, for lack of for, for clarity or, or um, brevity purposes, um, they kind of like weaponize anti-Semitism as either, you know, that's anti-Semitic, so you can't say it, or they say that's anti-Semitic, so we can't say it, um, when really they mean something else. Um, and I, I feel like there would be more to be gained from having a sort of more, more down-to-earth, honest conversation around like, well, maybe it kind of is, but why? And there are reasons for that. And I understand that I doesn't mean that I accept it, but I understand it. So that's kind of like what the 
seeing today that he that um, Mohammed Al Kurd has been made um, head of this column for the the Palestine column for the nation. It kind of, as I said, per, on a personal level, it stirred up feelings of like, oh, I, I don't like that. Um, but it also brought this point back. It made it fresh in my mind again, where I'm like, okay, you know, I personally think he's quite anti-Semitic, but the reasons why I think are worth delving into. That being said, I personally agree with you, Adar. I'm not, I'm not convinced that this was the right move well, to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even think that, like, as you know, I'm not quick to call people anti-Semitic, and I, I agree with you. I think. I think it's actually quite understandable why most Palestinians harbor some form of uh, anti-Semitic sentiment. Like it's understandable. So I'm, I'm, it's very rarely where I'm going to call a Palestinian anti-Semitic. I'd I'd rather just explain to them why certain views are harmful. So it's not, I'm not, the claim is in Muhammad al-Kurd shouldn't have a column because he's anti-Semitic. He shouldn't have a column because he refuses to, to recognize Israel's right to exist and called for the ethnic cleansing of Jews, put anti-Semitism aside. People who want to ethnically cleanse another population shouldn't be put put front and center in, in discourse. I mean, that to me just, mm. you know, makes sense. Um, yeah, and anybody else want to hop in here? Tal, did you want to tell Eunice? I'll just say a small thing in terms of uh, how we platform people. Uh, I didn't really know the the name of the column, so I looked up the nation. I mean, they're they have 1.2 million followers. They're an incredibly, it seems like well respected. I mean, that they've been around a very long time. Uh, he has a right to say what he says, and also taking away what he said. Uh, he's currently in Shukja. He, it's very obvious he's not going to have a very peaceful mindset in terms of Israel, considering that he's in the midst of huge legal battles and battles with IDF troops and stuff like that going on within the village. So he's going to be frustrated, angry. He's grown up in a very, very specific area that has very high tensions all the time between Israelis and Palestinians and Jews and Arabs. Uh, So his mindset isn't surprising to me. The question is, is this the type of person that we should platform as our correspondent for Palestine or for Israel. Uh, the same thing if I wouldn't want to, I don't think it would be smart, for example, if I had a column that I would platform an Israeli or a Palestinian that lived specifically in an area with a very, very high type of tension because their bias would be swayed very, very heavily by the emotional trauma that they're facing within that certain area. So it would be better for me to find someone within that country or that area that could most likely try to distance themselves and just report on what they're finding on the ground. If they just want an opinion piece, then fine, that's fine. But if they want their correspondent, as in now this individual, Mohammed, is going to be the correspondent for Palestine News, I think that it's quite irresponsible in terms of the individual that they chose because he's much more uh, aggressive, much more militant in his style. And there are also ones who are incredibly peaceful. I wouldn't also recommend uh, a extremely uh, peaceful and loving Palestinian that lives uh, outside of uh, the country as well. It, it would be need to have to be someone that can dis- disconnect themselves from the conflict when they're writing their pieces, but at the same time be within the presence of that conflict. Yeah, I... Uh... 
kind of agree with both Pauline and Tal um, on like, for example, if you grew up in, in certain circumstances and in that environment, um, uh, you will build up uh, a certain mindset uh, growing up and you will want to have a platform and um, uh, probably adopt a certain narrative. And part of why uh, young activists would uh, would join a certain narrative and and um, and support it and and protest for it. Part of it is is just for the cause um, and for uh, for their own life interests. And and the other part is for fame, for fame and for um, to do very and let's say. Uh, um, I mean, for example, uh, after Mohammed Al-Qud's uh, interviews on the CNN, his popularity uh, went through the roof, and uh, he has been now regarded as the defender of the uh, of the Palestinian cause uh, on Western Anglo media, and in general, this is the way that he's seen. So, of a bit of a background. Um, uh, settlers moved um, into his house uh, back when uh, he was 11 in 29. Um, and uh, ever since, he, um, he wrote a poem for President Obama. It's called Dear President Obama, I Hope You Won't Remain Silent in 2013. And uh, he wrote a lot of things afterwards. Uh, Leading up to the uh, the May 2021 May events, in which he started having these interviews online uh, with uh, um, on uh, the CNN and other outlets. Um, so I'm just thinking that um, that, for example, for the nation, they, they they would just Google him and. They, they would see his Wikipedia page and they would see all of that stuff that he's done and then, boom, it's the, the deal is sealed for them. Um, um, what I want to point out to you, though, uh, his his sister, Munal Kord, uh, is more of an activist uh, in Arabic to or towards a Palestinian audience. Uh, and she was arrested, and he was arrested as well, and they were released afterwards. Uh, uh, they have been arrested multiple times for for very short, sometimes for short time, for short periods of time. Um, but she 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 is more of a social media activist in Arabic, and he is more of a, an activist in the English language. And uh, he used to study in the U.S. Um, that's why that's part of why his English is uh, is immaculate. Let's say. Um, and he's, let's also remember he's 23 years old. Um, you wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't have any, any expectations from, uh, 23 years old living in East Jerusalem. Um, even with, the, with very good education, uh, even with a little bit of a privilege above someone who lives in the West Bank in the refugee camp. Um, but what's interesting is the rage that would come out of 
someone with more privilege than someone who grew up in, in a refugee camp. Um, but it's all relative. It's all uh, relative. And both are suffering from both of these examples, both of these people, Muhammad al-Kurd and someone who grew, grew up in a refugee camp without any rights, without any privilege, would have rage and would have anger and would have uh, a cause to fight for. Um, and they're both victims, kind of victims to um, the same problem. Um, but yeah, there's for me, there's a comparison. Um, there's a comparison. There's, there's like, uh, um, I haven't lived with him. I don't know exactly what has happened in his house, but uh, knowing that, that half of your house is, has been occupied by settlers. I don't know if, if they have left afterwards. Um, but just having, just living in that environment in Sheikh Jarrah is, uh, is abnormal, is abnormal. And I don't know how it will turn out for the nation. Uh, being a correspondent entails that you would be reporting on the issues around you and in your surroundings and, uh, without a certain bias. So I don't know how will that turn out. It's interesting. Shall we move on to Afghanistan? Great. Uh, maybe uh, there's a little chat in uh, there's a little conversation chat that I kind of joined in on. Maybe I'll make clarification uh, on it. We we talk about this a lot, but it's often said. Um, you you often hear Palestinians say, "I'm not. I can't be anti-Semitic because I'm a Semitic person." So this is normally used to just undermine when Jews are trying to describe anti-Semitism. It's just a way to say, well what you're saying is irrelevant. First of all, there's no, Semitic is a classification of language, not of people. It used to be a classification of people, but it's no longer used as such. So there are no Semitic people. But regardless of that, the term anti-Semitism just means um, it's equivalent to anti-Jew, okay? These are 100% interchangeable. That's just what the, what the term means. So to hear the term anti-Semitism and then say, but I'm not, I'm not anti-Semitic because I'm Semitic. That's not what the term actually means. So it's just a way to delegitimize when Jews are describing anti-Semitism. Um, I'll add to that. And I do think the Jewish discourse on anti-Semitism is entirely misguided. I think, I think we often label way too many things anti-Semitic without giving any explanation why it is. And anti-Semitism being a very complex form of hate with a very long history, most people don't understand its complexities. So rather than just hurling the charge of anti-Semitism towards somebody, explain to them why their rhetoric is hurtful and harmful. Don't just, don't just use charges of anti-Semitism because when it's overly used, people stop taking it seriously. And that's exactly what's happened. People now hear anti-Semitism. And the same thing has happened with charges of racism and sexism and transphobia. It's happening with all these forms of group hate that activists are weaponizing them and overusing them and people no longer take them seriously. So use these terms sparingly. And instead of charging somebody 
as an anti-Semite. Explain to them why what they're saying is harmful. Just a, a better approach, in my opinion. Um, can, I, can I just quickly add, like, I'm a huge proponent. Sure. I know I didn't do it just now, but I actually think that we should just completely change the word to Judeophobic or something similar to that, because it's so instant, like Judeophobic, it's very obvious what that means straight away. And that would completely avoid this problem, which is a huge pet peeve of mine, because it's just such a silly trail of logic that kind of distracts from everything yeah, else. I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I have heard somebody make a distinction between anti-Semitism and judophobia, but that granted that's somebody who their activism is focused on it. So they're meant to like create concepts and, and, you know, put them out there. The question is how do we actually change this in discourse? I I think if enough activists agree to just change it to judophobia, then perhaps we could do it. I I could get behind that for sure. Mm -hmm. I I, I disagree. We we shouldn't. (laughs) No, you like anti-Semitism? Yeah, there, there shouldn't be a, a distinction. <laughs> there shouldn't be. Um, I think it's I know, very be bad. Interchangeable. Um, it, it's very bad already. It's 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 very bad, and um, it's it's already a huge struggle trying to teach people about it and educate people about anti-Semitism, and um, it's kind of from um, I mean from the lenses of someone like me. Uh, there's there's a lot to do about the way people feel generically about Jews in, in many parts of the world. And it's, it's worrying. And uh, yeah, that, that's a discussion for another time. That's, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to chip in. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, and by the way, you know, we spoke about Muhammad El-Kurd. I would gladly have him on the show. Gladly. Like, I, I've reached out to him. He, he didn't respond. I, I don't imagine he would come on the show because he would view that as normalization. Even if, even for a debate, I don't think he would come on. Like that's really his stance. Do not engage with the enemy. Me being Israeli, I'm the enemy. So um, it is what it is. But if anybody has contact with him and you could convince him, we'll, we'll have him on next week as far as I'm concerned. But that said, I don't think he should have a, a column. He should run the, the Palestine column. You know, he, anyway, he, has, yeah. uh, he has Jerusalem residency, not quite uh, citizenship, not Israeli citizenship, but he has yeah. Israeli residency. And he has to deal with Israelis on a daily basis in multiple contexts. And uh, otherwise, he wouldn't survive. So that's kind of ironic. But yeah. Interesting. Um, great. A- Afghanistan? So we're actually two years away from the 20th anniversary. So I, I think this is um, fitting. Tal, you want to you wanna take the lead? What do you mean two years away? <clears throat> it is the 20th anniversary. Two, two, two days oh, two away. Two days. Two days. days, two days yeah, yeah, it's 9-9 today. Yeah. Um, so in general, I'll just uh, do a general overview first of what really occurred. So we had, during Trump's administration, he had the Doha Agreement. Uh, the Doha Agreement was an agreement between, exclusively between the Taliban and the U.S. government. Uh, the Afghan government was excluded from these talks. Uh, in, in the agreements, uh, it, the agreement was not to allow al-Qaeda to gain traction in Afghanistan and that there would be future talks with the Afghan government uh, and the Taliban for ceasefire. The USA 
the promise by the USA was to leave completely uh, by May 1st of 2021, and that the the Americans would also release 5,000 Taliban prisoners. So as we know, uh, America moved this date from May 1st to September 11th. Uh, In my eyes, it's quite a strange day to move it to. I think that it's actually counterproductive. I don't know why uh, Biden did that. I actually tried understanding why Biden moved the date of when America was supposed to get out of uh, Afghanistan. But it seems more it was a logistical issue with getting soldiers in and out. Uh, But if anyone has a better understanding of what exactly was the reason that Biden moved the date from May 1st all the way to uh, September, August 31st, and then all the way to September 11th, I'm happy to see that in the chat. Uh, One of the reasons why uh, I saw this a lot on social media was talking about why there were so many people still in Afghanistan and why didn't America have a proper plan. Uh, American intelligence was really bad at the end of the day in terms of how powerful the Taliban actually were. Uh, they thought that it went from, they thought that I think it was in May or March or May, they thought that it would take, no, actually in July 14th of this year, 2021, the American intelligence thought that it would take six months for the Taliban to take over the, the entirety of Afghanistan. As we all saw, it took them less than a month. Not, not six months. And so I think that America in general thought that it had a lot more time to get its people out than they actually did in the end of the day. And so America's intelligence was faulty in that respect. This happens a lot uh, with intelligence agencies. Uh, and then they essentially, in just a few days, they had the rush to get out as many people as possible. I know that all of America's troops are out of Afghanistan, but I know that there's now these plans for veterans to go back into Afghanistan to get people who were um, helping the USA and other NATO forces. Uh, the Taliban have tried to show themselves as having a new image, that they're not going to be as they were when they originally took over Afghanistan after the Afghan civil war by promising more rights for women, so that they'd be able to get education, that they wouldn't hold grudges against NATO forces or Afghan, or Afghan troops. Uh, we have seen in different media leaks that these promises have not been observed. For example, there was a anti-Taliban pro-women's march that was uh, warning shots were fired in the air to disperse the crowds. Uh, In, I think it was July or August, there were uh, Afghan troops that surrendered to the Taliban that were then executed. Uh, There was um, different reports that the Taliban were going house to house trying to find people that worked with the Americans. Uh, We're also seeing now that they've banned music in public. They've uh, changed the complete face of Afghanistan in terms of now it's called the Islamic cap, the Islamic, the Islamic, what was it? The, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. I think that's the new name of the country. And I think that a good reason that they're doing this is they're trying to get international support. They want to be seen and recognized as a real country. Uh, And so they're trying to show themselves as more moderate and that they're able to do this. Uh, We're seeing that there's a lot of different things going on in terms of Afghan, um, Pakistan, that Pakistan's having a lot of involvement with the Afghanistan recently. As well, China two months ago started making different types of deals with uh, Taliban because there is a massive, uh, I forgot, I think it's called lithium uh, deposits in Afghanistan. So Taliban is, the Taliban are sitting on trillions of dollars of wealth and materials. So they're trying to use this to their advantage in terms of 
world powers, hopefully to get different types of agreements. And we're currently sitting in a situation to see what really happens. Uh, the Taliban announced today from reports that on the on 9-11, they're going to officially uh, have an interim uh, government. So that's when they're going to officially announce their own government on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which is an interesting date to put it on. Uh, general understanding of what actually happened, if you want to just a very, very condensed history. Uh, the Soviets came into Afghanistan and occupied the land. America, America and different uh, Western countries supported the Mujahideen that were essentially resistance fighters against the Soviet occupation. They supported them because it was, you know, it was about capitalism against communism. So they supported the Mujahideen. So the communists wanted to have more influence on the region. Once uh, the, they were able to get the Russians out, the, essentially the Soviets out, there was a civil war in the country. The Taliban took control. And when they were in control, they it was an Islamic country under very strict sense, a radical uh, sense of Sharia law. So very stringent on different types of the more radical senses of Sharia law that we've seen similar to ISIS and other different uh, terror groups. Uh, when they were in power, they allowed groups like Al-Qaeda and other groups that were very uh, problematic for the states and other Western nations to be within their countries. After 9-11... Uh, America told, this is actually interesting, I didn't even know this, that after 9-11, the, America gave an ultimatum to Afghanistan, to the Taliban, saying that if you do not give us um, Osama bin Laden or tell us where he is or give us information that we're going to invade, the Taliban demanded that America provide them evidence that Osama bin Laden was involved in 9-11. America refused to negotiate with them, and that's when they invaded Afghanistan. And then ever since, they've been there for 20 years with these type of, with through Obama, um, Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. And uh, we don't really know where the future holds. Uh, and yeah, that's currently a situation. Anyone else have anything to talk Thanks, about? Thanks, I'm going to take a, I'm going to have a hot take right here, potentially controversial. So I apologize ahead of time. We had 20 years to defeat the Taliban. We. I guess I'm a dual citizen, so I could say that. But um, the United States, the, the, the strongest military in the history of the world, had 20 years to defeat the Taliban. And even if their intelligence was right, it took them 20 years, and then they predicted that it would take them six months to retake over the country. That's a failure, okay? We could say we successfully killed Osama bin Laden. We could say we successfully um, fought al-Qaeda, but we failed at fighting the Taliban. Understanding that we don't have the means to defeat the Taliban, we have two choices. Well, two better choices, in my opinion, than what we did. Either stay for another 20 years, which I don't see why Americans should ever support that. America is currently a failing nation. Homelessness is rampant. Um, the middle class is, is dying. To take funds, to take trillions of dollars that are being spent in wars across the world, that should be invested in the, in America. I can understand why Americans would want that. So if you're going to leave and you know the Taliban is going to take over, instead of leaving and letting them take over, you should actually build diplomatic ties with them. And it's not like we don't, it's not like America doesn't already have diplomatic ties with brutal authoritarian regimes. America does this with Saudi Arabia. America should have had diplomatic ties with the Taliban 
allowed them to do a peaceful takeover of the country, America should have taken all their weapons out. This way, the Taliban wouldn't be nearly as heavily armed as they currently are. The, the amount of tanks and helicopters and night vision goggles and, and American weapons they have is wild. There, there's a chart. I don't know if I could find it now, but the Taliban's never been stronger than they are today. Afghani soldiers were killed trying to defend. It was a very failed attempt, but Afghani soldiers were, were killed in this failed defense. And not doing it diplomatically, we don't even have a room where we could negotiate any terms and conditions. And now we have no say over what happens in Afghanistan. You know who does have a say? Russia and China. So what we did was the, the worst possible thing. We left the Taliban stronger than ever before. We left the country in t- turmoil. Um, and we have, and America has zero influence over what, hap- what happens in, um, in Afghanistan. The, the Russian embassy didn't get evacuated. The Chinese embassy didn't get evacuated. Why, why can they have diplomatic ties with, with uh, the Taliban and America can? Is America too moral to have diplomatic ties with, with the Taliban? No. No, they, they have diplomatic ties with Saudi Arabia and other brutal authoritarian regimes. And don't get me wrong, the humanitarian issues in Afghanistan is horrible. I mean, it, it's, you know, when, when you understand what's happening, you know, it, it makes you want to cry. So, uh, like, it's, it's obviously this isn't an easy decision to make, but we would have been better off had we done it like that. So either build diplomatic ties with them and allow them to take over the country in a peaceful way or stay for another 20 years and spend trillion more dollars in hope and with, without potentially achieving any goal. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's how I see it. Anyways, who wants to chime in? It's uh, it's it's a miserable situation. It's a miserable situation, uh, but but it seemed as if it was uh, kind of agreed upon in the in the beginning during the Trump administration when they had uh, uh, these peace talks in the Doha and Qatar. Uh, and Qatar is in direct contact with uh, the Taliban, uh, and it sounded like. Uh, there wasn't a, an issue with uh, with them with the Taliban taking over again. It's uh, it's very bad for the Afghani people, but uh, for the international community, it sounds like it's uh, they could save a bit of money uh, not having to deploy the troops in Afghanistan anymore. Uh, but I, I just want to make a small distinction. The what the U.S. had supported back in the uh, 1980s against the Soviets was the Mujahideen that was uh, led by Ahmad Shah Massoud, and he's the same guy, uh, and he has led the same people who have been fighting against the the Al Qaeda and also against the Taliban, and he's been. Um, what's the word? Um, he's in the Banshir, uh, the Banshir region, uh, nowadays fighting and resisting against the Taliban to this day. Uh, his son, um, Ahmad Shah Massoud, uh, and as as you've heard in the media, he's been the nightmare of of the Taliban. So people say, oh, the U.S. has has, support, has supported the same terrorists back then, but it's it's different different people. Uh, I just wanted to uh, 
reiterate on that. But it's uh, um, it's a miserable situation. Uh, I want to just give a little bit of a background on on how it's how the issue is viewed in the Arab world and to Palestinians. Uh, Al Jazeera channel in Arabic uh, has been having interviews with uh, with Bin Laden and the Mullah Omar, the other guy in the in Al Qaeda uh, and uh, and Taliban's leaders and militants. They have had uh, an they have had access that nobody else has had, and as as a result, the they managed to boost the image of the Taliban Al Qaeda um, um, in the eyes of millions or hundreds of millions of Arabs, Arab viewers back then, um, in the early two thousands, um, at least. And uh, it's it's a completely different message from what you would see on Al Jazeera English uh, regarding Taliban in Afghanistan in in particular. Um, it has been back then the the narrative was that um, it's uh, that the the invasion was uh, was colonialism was very bad was uh, was disgusting. Back then, the narrative on the Jazeera in Arabic, and and now the withdrawal resembles uh, liberation, resembles uh, all of the good things. I mean, Al Jazeera Arabic does not say that anymore because they they don't want to kind of it's it's not as explicit anymore, but it's implicit that they. They're cheering, and they know that the audience, especially the older people who have been uh, watching Al Jazeera in the early 2000s, uh, 20 years ago, they know that these people, the audience, would love to the, to see these images and would love to hear the narrative of liberation of Afghanistan from the quote and quote the American uh, occupation and all of that stuff. And as as you said, Adar, it's it's a miserable situation, and, and it could have been handled so much better. Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, if you, you want to ask me any specific questions on on how uh, on how it was perceived in the Arab media or in the Arabic narrative or the Persian narrative, even uh, I would be happy. Yeah, to I, am, I actually am interested in in knowing how how Palestinian uh, media portrayed Afghanistan. Yeah, the as, as I was saying, those who watch Al Jazeera and especially uh, the boomer generation from the early two thousands, uh, and especially the those with an Islamist, more religious mindset, um, are happy about the withdrawal. Uh, they're happy about uh, Taliban taking over, but those with more of a moderate or liberal views. Um, have been very anxious about what happened and they are very sad and they are also in solidarity with the Afghan people against the uh, the Taliban rule. Um, so it, it's, uh, it depends on what you're watching and what your parents have been watching um, as you've been growing up. But it's, uh, but it's all symbolic. It, it doesn't have any weight on the... And the Palestinian uh, society in general, aside from the fact that uh, Hamas leadership in Qatar has been meeting with uh, the Taliban leadership in Qatar, and uh, 
they seem to have been congratulating each, each other. But even that is remote from the um, the day-to-day -day life of, of Palestinians uh, here. Thanks, Yunus. Anybody else want to chime in? You want to say something you? before, Paulina? Um, I, I don't really have too much to add other than, um, you know, as an American citizen, I agree that it's just been, you know, it's just, it's been a failure. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have any better word for it. It's been quite devastating to, to see. Um, and the, the question that I'm left with and that I feel that a lot of other Americans are left with and also um, especially like veterans and people in the U.S. military who I know is just kind of like, was it worth it? So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say on it. It's just, I I agree, it could have been handled a lot better, and it's it's a, very much a coulda, woulda, shoulda sort of situation. Fair. Yeah, I think uh, something that I'll I'll go on to in terms of. With the tele this is going back to what Eunice said with how they're not exactly the, this, they're not the same group that the U.S. was supporting back in the 90s, 80s and 90s and who they are today. But in general, this also has to do with interest. Who America or any other government supports on a political level has nothing to do with morals. I think it's important to realize you need to take out your moral compass when it comes to why different governments have agreements or why they have different policies or why they have interests in different countries. Um it all has to do with the interests of their own nation. It has nothing to do with politics. As Adar said earlier, America has no issue having in, um, trade relations and diplomatic relations with um, Saudi Arabia, even though it has extensive human right abuses, even though they are essentially a dictatorship. Um, it's about the interests, but how much are, are they a threat to America's interests in the world? Um, I think with regard to the Taliban, uh, I think America pulling out actually in the long term could do a lot worse for America's interest. And this we could see America coming back to Afghanistan. Um, the Chinese and the Russians staying and still having dipl diplomatic relations uh, with the Taliban is actually a good thing for them. I think it would be it would have been a lot better for the, for example, with the Doha agreements, I don't understand why the Afghan government wasn't involved in that agreement process. I mean, you can't, it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of when Trump had the, the peace plan with Israel, where he had um, a plan that he drew up with Israel, but didn't have the Palestinians at the table. And so it's the same thing here, where you have the Taliban making a deal with the Americans, but there was a third part to this, which was the which was the Afghan um, government, and I can't imagine the morale, how low the morale was when suddenly the Americans were making this great um, agreement with the Taliban, essentially saying you guys are going to get the country when we pull out, and we're going to pull out of this country, um, and it's up to you to have um, peace talks or not with the F with the Afghan army. Instead, the Afghan I think the Afghan government should have been heavily involved in this discussion uh, with the Doha agreement. And I think that we could have gone to a much better place and where we are today. Uh, I don't, I personally, when we talk about where Afghanistan is going to be, even in the next year, 
it really depends on the the relation how i think it's the structure of the taliban i think a big thing i saw a few days ago i don't know if you guys saw it that the taliban had the t- announced to its troops announced to the women saying you guys should stay inside because our troops aren't used to dealing with women um i saw that the taliban and and the fact that they have to make that announcement tells me they don't really have control over their troops uh which means they don't really have control so we could see another civil war breaking out in the country or we could just see a complete collapse of the Taliban now that they control the country. You know, they, they had something to fight for for the last 20 years against the American occupation. And now that the American occupation is gone, they now have to build a government. They now have to build a country. Um, and the question is, are they going to let their own greed and power uh, take over? They're going to have an interim government now in 9-11. But are they actually going to allow elections? Are they actually going to allow... Um, power to be transferred to new individuals or not we see we've seen this in different countries i think in the congos in in africa where this happens a lot with different countries where you have a warlord in power and then you have a resistance groups that that rises up takes out the the warlord the dictatorship and then once they're in power they simply become the new dictatorship so What's going to now happen with the Taliban now that they're in control? Are they going to fall apart because they aren't prepared to run a country? Or are they going to manage? We, I mean, in the 1990s, 2001, they were able to. They managed to have a country for, I think it was like five years. Um, but we're in a new political climate. We can't compare the Afghanistan of the 1990s to the Afghanistan of 2020. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens to the Taliban. Are they going to be able to function as a government or not? I want to quickly just comment on Saudi Arabia. Uh, I want to share from uh, I want to share a, a little story uh, from my uh, many years ago when I was a teenager. Um, I, I was chatting with this random uh, Saudi guy, um, uh, and he said to me, um, I, "I still remember." He said to me that uh, it's not allowed to shave. A beard like you have to have a beard otherwise you're going to hell um and i thought he was joking um but uh he reiterated and he sounded very serious and then i got so mad and i blocked him and ever since i had a fantasy that um the the sheikhs or the imam the muftis in saudi arabia who controlled the minds of many people um and whose narrative whose religious narrative is is um, is so powerful and is being redistributed to other people even in other countries i had this fantasy that these people would be behind bars one day but i knew that this that would have never happened that that would have been possible but nowadays um the, if you look at Saudi Arabia nowadays uh, one of the first things that uh, mohammed bin salman has done is actually putting behind bars the the muftis who have been telling people uh, who have been making the distinctions of who is an infidel and who is going to hell and who is going to heaven. He rounded them up. Uh, he he basically changed the the identity of the entire country. He he let women drive and not, not that it's a huge privilege to drive, but it's but it was unimaginable. It was unimaginable. Um, Basically, Saudi Arabia has changed its identity and has fought with its own her- heritage and tradition in order to appease 
to the Western uh, partners and friends, and especially the U.S. Um, and they have been successful at that. Uh, I think that's admirable. No other country in history has done that for for its friends, uh, and and the amount of progress that they have they have been making is uh, is insurmountable. Uh, but yeah, human rights abuses do exist, and the, the, all of that stuff, and the ho- horrible stuff. But they seem to be making a huge effort in order, just like partially, just to enrich their relationship with 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 the U.S. And also, one of the other things that that need to be mentioned: uh, the the peace deal that Israel had with Bahrain and the UAE, that was under the pressure of Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia didn't want to do it on their own so they they facilitated the for uae and bahrain to sign the deal with uh with israel and morocco afterwards and and sudan um and it's a huge change from what was happening in uh in the 70s from the policy of king abdelaziz in the 70s and the 80s um yeah i just wanted to mention that Thank you. Anything else on Afghanistan, or we're we're closing it on two hours, so we could lightly touch on maybe one more topic, or do final thoughts. Maybe a few audience questions. Yeah, maybe let's do some audience questions if no one has anything else on Afghanistan. Uh, Pball, I see you're here in the waiting room, but you're going to need to put a profile picture up if you want to come on the live stream. We're not accepting that gray. That disgusting gray background. So get get a profile picture up, and we'll bring you on. Uh, Paulina, I kind of want to ask you something. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but I feel like we're close enough that that I can do this. So throughout this discussion, a few people in the chat have have said things about your looks. Albeit they were all compliments. They they were complimenting that you're beautiful and all that. I just want to ask you um, how that how those remarks make you feel. Um, I'm a little ambivalent about it. This, wow, this is quite a on the spot question. So, all right. <laughs> um, yeah. You I'm, could I'm chastise little... me later if, if you're upset about it. I'm, I'm okay, fair. <laughs> um, yeah, like I feel like, uh, I would say I'm ambivalent because on the one hand, um, you know, it's very much like what, relevance does that even have you know i'm 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 here for a round table panel discussion on on politics on current events so you know like i i don't know why <laughs> the way i look is even being brought into things on the other hand um i do think that i have very much because i've been kind of socialized in the system or hierarchy or patriarchy that we that we live in um it is that is kind of like a currency for me like it's a form of capital so it's something that I'm very aware of like it's not it's not like I go into a discussion being like oh you know it's basically it's something that is expected because my whole life anytime that I weigh in on something or just interact with people in any sort of way that tends to be the feedback that I will get so the way that I feel about it I I kind of 
am like almost second guessing myself because on the one hand I want to say like, Oh, you know, it's fine. I'm, I'm like, that's normal for me. Um, but then there's this other part of me that's like, yeah, but you know, that, that shouldn't really be, be normal. Um, and you know, like, why is this thing? And, and let's question this. So that's why I would say I am ambivalent because okay. I, I, on a personal level, like I'm not offended or anything. And, 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 you know, like I'm, I would say like, Oh, you know, thank you or whatever. But on, on kind of a more macro level, it's like, to know how, right. how I feel about that. Well, th- thank you for sharing that, uh, Paulina. Um, yeah, to, to, to the viewers, I think uh, this is something I've heard. And just to kind of echo what you said, like a woman can find a compliment about her looks flattering, right? Who doesn't like getting complimented on their looks? But Paulina's here to discuss. She's here for her mind, not for her looks. So it's kind of like, you know, view me as an equal to everybody else. I'm not, I'm not here because I'm pretty. I'm here because I have something to contribute. So uh, to the viewers, just, just keep that in mind. Uh, people, I see you're coming in and out. Yeah, and I see Erin is saying it's still nice to hear. So the question is, how do we, how do you even like? Then what's the balance? When do you compliment somebody on on their looks, and when do you, you know, keep it to yourself and not? We 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 need to give people proper tools to work with here. Is this a question for me? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Well, I, I don't think I don't think we have all the answers. I don't think there's a consensus. Yeah. I think. It's, it's a challenging one, you know. What's the question again? What's uh, the question? It's not, it's, it's not for you, Eunice. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, I just, like I wasn't paying. Yeah. No, no, I, I, it's 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 women's issues. It's something. It, yeah, it's, again, it's about. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Again, like I, I feel like it's very, it's, it's, it's not like there's not a black and white right answer because um as I said you know like I'm not offended and 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 as you said like it's it it's also natural to be to be flattered um or for people to feel like you know like everyone I I think most of us feel good when when we're complimented or, or when we're we're praised for something but at the same time like it's something that I'm just very very conscious of the fact that it's kind of like shaped my entire life an identity so it's something that I'm very very used to like it's pretty much impossible or it's it's very very rare that I'll go into a situation and not kind of have that be an element um so it's something I'm very aware of but at the same time you know I also if the if those are the comments it's kind of like were you even listening to what I was saying or has this sort of swayed your opinion of what I was saying? Because I would argue that it shouldn't, Um, you know, we should be kind of evaluating everyone's opinions and everyone's messages and their words from an objective standpoint and not at all be influenced by anything of that nature. Um, So yeah, I I don't want to like give any kind of definitive answer here because it's something that I myself ponder a lot. I, I, pre- I appreciate your honesty, Paulina. Th- uh, thank you. And now I see people in chat. George Haxon goes, damn Adar, you're sexy. So now they're, they're turning it on me. So I'll, Chad, I'll say this. Because I am almost never objectified for my looks, 
like almost never, you can say it all you want. That's fine. If you want to come to chat and, and tell me I look good, that's fine. Um, I won't take any offense. There's some good uh, questions I saw. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let let's get to it. Let's get to it. Um, uh, Tal, feel free to bring up. Uh, You're gonna need to let me. Saw a good question, but I don't have the uh, moderator powers. By Aura. Yeah, so just tell me. I'll shut up. Find it. Is the Taliban foreign policy? I got yeah. Real quick, first, Jake. I see Jake. You're asking if you could come on stream one day. Yeah, sure. Uh, reach out to me. We'll 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 set something up. Uh, where is it? Re just read it Not, out loud. Nine, is the Taliban foreign policy anti-Semitic, or was it because the Palestinian-Israeli conflict after the current they will have relationship with all except Israel? Uh so I think there's two dimensions to this. The first is at the end of the day, the Taliban's fight is is a from a religious standpoint. So I would say that a part of it has to do with they're against the Jewish state simply because we're it's Jewish. So it's more for in their eyes, it's Islam against Judaism and Christianity afterwards. Uh, but I think also due to the conflict here, uh, that also plays a larger role. I think it's also. Again, this comes back to what I said earlier about them trying to gain a footing and to show that they're different and to show that they want to have relationships. So I think that the only reason they're saying this about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Israel in particular is because they uh, want countries to to feel bad for them to say, oh, look, they're, they have this moral high ground. The reason I don't care about this is the fact that they have no issue having relations with China that currently has detainment camps for Uyghur Muslims. Uh, and so, and you have other different countries that have incredibly, I mean, you have France, they have no issue doing uh, relations with France, even though France has laws which prohibit uh, Islamic address. So this feels less to me about um, the moral high ground in terms of the Taliban, and a lot more has to do with trying to get uh, support from different Muslim countries in the region and Arab countries. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Uh, good response. Anybody wanna, wanna add something? Cool, any other questions? We didn't get any super chats today. Who wants to kind of break that? Give us that, that first super chat. Let's get those super chats going. You know, it's interesting. I noticed the most super, what's up? What's, what's that? Super oh, Super Chat. chat it's, uh, it's where it's like a direct donation. Someone can donate money and then their comment is highlighted. So we, yeah, we okay, prioritize. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're fun. They're fun. I, obviously, the, you know, the, the goal is that I could do, uh, we could do this content full time and we could just produce more and, and do a lot of awesome things. So um, I'm not. I don't rely on those super chats to put food on the table because I have a, a day job, but I would like to be able to quit that day job and go all in on this and the super chat chats help make that a reality. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at. Um, yeah, Paulina, we're getting a lot of compliments about the cat as well. That's definitely, definitely legit. It's very much a, a cute kitten. It, it's uh, he, right? Yes. Um, so this is yeah. Pantalaiman. 
I don't know if anyone knows the His Dark Materials series by Philip Pullman, but that's who he's named after is Pantalaiman. Um, so Pan for short. Um, he's nine weeks old. I rescued him. He's an orphan. Um, he's from the Palestinian village of Kfalmanda. Um, and yeah, he's getting bigger by the day and quite rambunctious, as you can see. But sometimes he will cooperate and he just curls up for a nap. <laughs> he's so cute. And I, I'd yeah, say that's a Palestinian really cat. So this is coexistence uh, yeah. right here. <laughs> All right. So we got two super chats. Thank you so much. Uh, Ed Lidawi giving $5. Thank you so much, Ed. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Um, and then Learn Think $10. Thank you so much. 10 Canadian dollars. Uh, Learn Think says, did Afghanistan invite the USSR in? Correct me if I'm wrong, please. I actually don't. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe uh, our, our audience member, Oh Khalamish, who's a uh, who's an international uh, policy expert, you could say. Maybe he knows. Tal, maybe you know too, Eunice. Just add on uh, before anyone else. Uh, so they, they were supposed to help Afghan. That's why that was their, since their approach to coming to help Afghanistan. But in the end, they just came in, took over the government, and occupied the entire place. Because they won. It was, uh, in a, for them, it was about the next stage of uh, defense against uh, the capitalist Western world. Uh, so they didn't exactly go on their promises with the Afghans when they came in. Cool. Okay, so we, we have a bidding war happening right now. Okay, Edley Dowie now gives $10 saying, I can't get Learn Think one-up me, LOL. Cool. Um, it's not that I want to encourage the bidding war, but I do, yeah. Go for it. And then, oh, thank you, $5. I really appreciate it. Um and it's funny, I just complimented Oh on being an expert, but that super chat was prior to the compliment. Um, but that's not why I complimented him. So it was just a synchronicity. Beautiful. We we will start wrapping up. I see P Ball's back. Uh P Ball, what's up? What's on your mind? Oh hey. Um, I just wanted to answer um, the question of uh like uh, that that soviet comment or i don't know um can you show it up um at our which one is it uh the 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 soviet something in afghanistan learn think it's a learn did afghanistan invite the ussr and correct me if i'm wrong please oh yeah yeah, yeah. so um call you brother the soviet like afghanistan for like afghanistan was like having um a revolution though uh like a, a communist revolution um against like the monarchist monarchist government like after they succeeded um they they, they needed help from, from from the soviets because um its population the the afghan population wasn't uh i'm happy with that well that no um like the soviets didn't care about afghanistan like they they just like saw it as like an unimportant spot on the map. Well, like after like they, there was like um started um, the heating up the I started that mujahideen thing. Um, they uh yeah yeah they, they actually like replaced the the communist government with like another government. 
but but it it was already late. I think I'm I'm not sure, but th- that's what, what what I know. But like it's it's like they they just like having this Soviet like invasion of Afghanistan. Um. So yeah, this is this is like what happened, and like the Soviets, Soviets are the ones who like invaded Afghanistan. Um. They they weren't invited though. Uh. So like just them. Uh. Um. Like coming to to help the 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 government, you know. Cool. Thank you uh, for your input. I, I guess we'll do final final thoughts. We're at the two hour mark. Everyone can have final thoughts. Peeball, you could also have uh, a final thought. And uh, yeah, who wants to go first? Don't make me call on someone. I do. Uh, you, you want? No, you you go last. Peeball, you get to go last. Okay, Eunice. All right, all right. <laughs> it's okay. Um. Yeah, not much as as for last thought, but on which uh, subject? I don't know. Whatever you want, you you could you could shout something out. You could tell people to check uh your website if you have one. You could I don't know say happy uh, birthday to a loved one. Whatever you want, it's your time. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, so many barriers as to who I can shout out to, but I know some people are watching and uh, I love them. Oh, uh, I'm I'm glad some have survived so far to this point. I appreciate it. Uh, cool. Yeah, thank you, Adar. Thank you, Tal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, been, yeah. it's been a great having you. And for those who didn't hear earlier on Monday, our Israelis and Palestinians taste chocolate hummus videos coming out, and Eunice is the Palestinian that tasted it. I won't tell you his reaction, but it was... <laughs> Uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. fun, yeah. <laughs> I see yeah. Paulina shaking her head. That's saying, no, nope, that's blasphemous. I don't expect that. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, well, we, well, we, we won't give anything else away. We won't just, give anything just, else uh, away. Yeah, yeah. But, but there wasn't... Uh, I'm not really sure if I should give away this like small detail, but there was no tahina involved. So if that True. makes people feel any better... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Nir just hit us with the super chat. Um, we can't ignore it. It's against the rule. Six shekels. Thank you, Nir. How if? How and? I don't even know how to read that. How and if? <laughs> how do you read that, Paulina? You you're you're good with language. What? How would you read that for the people listening just on audio? Oh. Um... Oh, how how parentheses how, if will tell yeah, I think I think like he said. I would say slash. I don't know. How slash if will tell? Okay, you're right. Yeah, how slash if will Taliban affect IP conflict? I don't think it's going to have any noticeable effect. Um, but maybe there's someone more informed on on this issue than myself. Um, it it won't. I don't think it would. Uh... Unless if there are international repercussions to what's going on, unless if um, there there would be a new drive for a new invasion and then a new focus on on Afghanistan by major Western powers. Um, There might be uh, one theory states that 
uh, China and Russia could get indulged and very busy with with Afghanistan, and that would divert their attention from uh, the, middle, the Middle East and uh, other Arab countries, and including Palestinians. It could uh, it could basically if if it if if uh, if Afghanistan gets messy, it could basically bankrupt its uh, neighbors or one of their neighbors at least. It could be massive. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I, I just yearn for the day where where we could travel freely to all parts of the Middle East, where we could visit our neighbors to the north in Lebanon, to the east in Jordan, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, I know there's many countries I'm missing, but you know th this is the dream um, I'm yearning for that the Middle East is open to to all people, and where human rights abuses isn't such a major concern. Tal, you want to go with some final thoughts? So I'll connect this into my final thoughts. Or so I think that I don't think in the short term Afghanistan's going to have any effect on the conflict here uh, with the Israelis and Palestinians. I think only long term, if it's able to survive as a government, it will. Uh, how I think that if Afghanistan falls into another civil war, most likely there's a chance that Iran could get involved with that. So that would push, that could pull away Iran slightly from uh, the conflict here with the Israelis and Palestinians. So that could have a small effect, I believe, not much. But in, in general, Afghanistan is pretty isolated from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, I mean, it's quite far. It's not that close that it would affect most it, of the countries. It's that are not even considered involved. the Middle East, right? It's not. That's not even it's, the Middle East. Technically. Yeah, it's it's quite far from that. Uh, my final thoughts in terms of I would pay very close attention to Afghanistan in the coming weeks. This will be the ver right after they announce their interim government on nine eleven will be the deciding factor on whether or not they're going to survive or not. Whether or not they have elections and are able to transfer power or they try to hold on to power. If they hold on to power, I'm almost 100% sure there's going to be a civil war in the country and it's going to collapse. If they're able to transfer power, then who knows? We have a new contender in the Middle East uh, that will be very interesting to see Russia and China's involvement with that because they have realized that it's really key for them to get involved there. Uh, in general, if you have want to have a conversation about media analysis or just in general what's going on here in Israel and with the Palestinians... Uh, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Just my handle is the same as in my name here. And it was really great talking to all of you. And uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. Thank you so much, Tal. Paulina. Um, so it's been a pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your thoughts. Um, in terms of Afghanistan, I don't consider myself the most informed on that particular topic but my overall impression is would lead me to say that I also don't think that it's going to have a direct impact on the Israel-Palestine conflict um, the prison breakout on the other hand as I said earlier I am actually quite concerned about where that's going to lead to um, yeah I have multiple people who are kind of like on the front lines, so to speak, whether militarily or journalistically or otherwise, uh, who are leading me to believe that it's not going to just kind of like peter out 
something's going to happen from this. So I am kind of waiting on tons of hooks to see what happens um, and just hoping, hoping for the best. Um, can I be really cheeky, Adar, and say like of one course. thing? Okay. We, we were meant to touch on today about the um, abortion laws in Texas. Mm. I just want I just wanted to say one thing uh, in regards to that, that I think uh, a lot of people may not be aware of um, the, the, the ruling by the Supreme court in regards to Texas is, uh, six weeks for, for pregnancy, um, six weeks pregnant, um, in terms of abortion. And I think that one thing that a lot of people do not know, and I certainly didn't know, um, is that the time of pregnancy time or, or the due date sort of estimation is actually calculated from the time of conception, sorry, not from the time of conception, which is what you would naturally think. Um, it's actually calculated from the date of your last menstrual cycle. So what that effectively means is that six weeks, by the time, by the time um, you find out that you're pregnant, or by the, sorry, by the time of conception, you're already one to two weeks pregnant. So that effectively means that six weeks is about four weeks um, being generous. So I just think that that's, I just wanted to throw that in there since we didn't actually get to touch on that topic, but I think it's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, and, you know, even when I hear the term, when I hear the, the time six weeks, I'm like, okay, that's quite early, but I think it's, it's in, in practice even earlier than that because the, average person is going to be thinking, all right, you know, I slept with someone on this date, so I'm going to be a month pregnant. And that month is actually more like six weeks because of the way that the conception is calculated. So that's just something, something I felt like I needed to say uh, today that I didn't yeah, get sure, a chance to. Sure. So. This, uh, yeah, we didn't get to touch on that. Maybe Pauline, we could set up another session to, to put more, yeah. more focus on that. I think it's uh, an important topic. Um, yeah, for cool, sure. I just you. I feel like that's something that I would never have expected. Like I learned that only a little bit over a year ago, and I was very surprised. That was like six weeks. What are you talking about? So, yeah, it's it's essentially like at least one week to two weeks further than what you would think. Thinking like, all right, the baby was conceived on this date. Blah blah blah. Right. Mo most women don't know they're pregnant until after the six week mark. Right. The vast yeah, majority. yeah. Yeah. And and even if even if you had the, the basically the point that I'm trying to make is even if you had reason to suspect that, like if you're like, all right, I slept with someone um, and I might be pregnant. If you if you're thinking like, all right, that was three weeks ago, it's effectively five weeks ago from the way that the due date is calculated in terms of how pregnant you are. Thank you, Paulina. And Paulina, this was your first time um, on a live stream, but I know it's not going to be your last time. So very excited to have you back on. P Ball, what's up? Okay, so um, I wanted to comment on on your question. Um, so uh, first, like before we ask like the question how it will, we should ask the question will will it will it affect the the IP conflict? And like, and like he he actually like knew about that like the AKA like um, if um, like he said like if it will um, um, 
if it will like affect the the conflict how so so yeah i mean for me it's like it's it, it, it's it's not gonna affect the conflict i mean like the, the geographical um uh like the the geographical distance um is is not gonna help the taliban like even like supporting um or or supporting like hamas or something i mean they they have like relations with hamas but uh they uh they they can't reach out hamas especially like iran is 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 on their way like iran uh, if you don't know iran actually helped the 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 northern alliance um fight the taliban um they they were like one of the, their first supporters so yeah i mean and iran already like um have uh like blocked um anything with 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 the taliban i think um so yeah i, I don't i don't i don't think um the taliban could uh could like affect or like the afghanistan like if i mean like if 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 like the taliban government um survived um which which like most likely won't um so yeah that that's what what i think um thank you and if people people want uh Pball has a YouTube channel called Palestine Ball Animation, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like yeah, it's I, a- I stopped uh, doing everything about it. I mean, I oh, used yeah, to do, but know. I don't have any ideas to 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 do something on it. Um, I'm just out of ideas these days. Well, Chad, if you have ideas for Pball, give him some ideas. Maybe you could do one about Afghanistan. That'd be an interesting one. Or the prisoner escape. Well, yeah, I, I did. I did like a video, um, but like it was about the end. Hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Um. So th- that is all, friends. A little bit about what we have going on uh, next week. So this is episode one of Sulcha Podcast. Um, we're going to try to do this on a weekly basis. If anybody wants to be on a future episode, please reach out to me. You can find my contact information in the in the description. Uh, we'll, we'll switch it up every week. We'll talk about current events. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have feedback on how we can make this, this, um, series better, please let me know. On Monday, we're going to have the chocolate hummus video out. It's already up on Patreon. Patrons get early access to, to some forms of content. So if you can't wait till Monday, you could, uh, subscribe to Patreon and, and check that out. Uh, there's a link to that in the description as well. And that's it. Uh, Tal, Paulina, Eunice, Peeball, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Oh, and let's, I, I guess we'll, we'll have an option for an after party if people want. We'll do an after party in Discord. I'll drop a link in the chat right now. If you want to join the after party, click on the link on the left-hand side. It says lounge, click lounge, and you'll be connected. It's a voice, it's a voice chat kind of like this, but anyone can contribute. You can just listen, of course, if you want. Um, and that's all. Thank you all, friends. Until next time.